welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. Because as we all know, I grow a lot of dahlias. But in my ever pursuit of finding people that grow more dahlias than I do, I found them. With me are Lisa and Linda from Fam Flower Farm. And one of the fun things about this, uh, through the power of social media, is I've been following them a long time. They've been following me a long time. But this is our first time chatting. How are you both? Hello. We're <laughs> good. Well, we've got to go. I'm going to get the cheesy sort of uh, fun questions out of the way first, ladies. <laughs> Give me, you know, because I get this all the time too, and I'm sure you get this daily also each of you give me your favorite dahlia uh, for sure for it's joey winnie is one of my favorites <laughs> it's so uh this the four the, the, the how it looks like the color the, the shapes from every picture is so beautiful uh, i really love the joey winnie variety and for me linda this is here uh wizard of oz because of the small pompon in a perfect uh, pink color and so many flowers, it's the perfect one for me. Mm. Now, the Joey family has got so many introductions. Do you find the same that I do, that all of their introductions are, are good dahlias? Even if it's not your most favorite color necessarily, it's still a good plant as far as performance goes. Yeah, we know uh, the the breeder uh, is called. His name is Joey White. So we know him personally. He lives close uh, by us, and we are in regular contact uh, with him. And he is a really, really good professional breeder. So what he is introducing into the market is really high, high quality and has been tested all the way. And only he only introduces when he's really, really sure it's a good variety. Now you both. Are, and as the business, you're going to start offering dahlia tubers for sale, even into the United States. And previously, it was just in Europe. Explain to me some of that process, right? Because I think for an average home gardener or even some people that are attempting to do small-scale pet flower production, there's so many dahlia varieties to choose from that it can be almost a little intimidating that you go and say, okay, how do I know if this is going to be a good cut flower dahlia or is this going to maybe be a garden style dahlia? How do you go about sort of observing that, seeing that in a field setting to offer those dahlia tubers? Uh, yes, we always tried the new varieties for a few years. Uh, we also make our own uh, cut flowers for the flower auction here in Holland. So we are always uh, trying ourselves it's, if it's a good variety. And if we, if we find it a good variety, then we sell it to the cut flower farmers as well. You mentioned the Dutch flower auction too. And I think that's one of the things that maybe some people here in the States don't understand is that there's the, the two sides of a, a business sometimes where you're doing both Dahlia tuber and cut flower yeah. as well yeah. and, and balancing that. How do you go about that? Because there really are sort of, you know, two different businesses because you're you're harvesting flowers for cut flower auction, but then you're also harvesting the tubers in the fall for tuber sales. Yes, but that's no problem at all. We grow in the in summer, we grow the tubers and uh, we have one field, uh, especially for the cut flowers. And we can harvest the tubers as well. So that's no problem at all. 
Your your fields are always, by the way, impeccable. It's one of the things I always tell any flower grower here in the United States. Don't ever look at any of the pictures of anyone from the Netherlands because it'll just make you jealous. <laughs> That's what it'll end up doing. Uh, that would work. <laughs> well, and this is one of the things too, and this is sort of a, a broad question to you. Do you, because you interact, especially through Instagram, social media so much, do you find that maybe some of the the small scale growers in the United States who are doing cut flowers, do you find that maybe not all of them understand how long families like yours and farms like yours have been doing this and that the experience that you have is what leads to those incredible, beautiful fields that you have? We really have an old uh, family farm. So the father from, uh, the grandfather already uh, did grow dahlias. And we did uh, grow because uh, uh, it's a long generations already grow dahlias. We uh, are able to uh, find uh, every time better and new varieties. So, uh, because we are so long in the business, now we can grow about 250 different varieties at our fields, but we're always changing. It's never the same. We, uh, every year we uh, stop with some varieties, maybe five or 10 varieties, and we buy about maybe uh, 10 or 15 varieties, something like that. And it's not always uh, the things we like, but also if the market, uh, if, the, if the, the companies do sell enough, is it, does it have a good uh, tour production? Do we have enough cuttings in there? So there are a lot of different um, things which decides if uh, they're good for us for production. Well, and that experience that you have is what allows you to be good at it, right? I think what I, what my, my question really is, we have a lot of people that are new to growing <laughs> oh, like <yeah>. dahlias <laughs> here in the United States. Yeah. And I think what they don't understand is your experience is why you're good at it. Yeah. And that if you had only been doing this two, three years, you're not going to get the results or have your fields look as good as yours do. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a 30 year uh, experience. <laughs> And uh, also, yeah, getting trying to get better every year. So we're learning ourselves every time. And also, we are specialized now because in, uh, in the old days, we were doing multiple products like other uh, plants. Mm. And now we're only doing dahlias. And it's even with only doing dahlias, there are lots of challenges. So, yes, there's a lot of knowledge there. <laughs> and no, and, well, and, and, and that's one of the, the things sometimes I do see here in the States is that we have a lot of people they're trying to grow so much. Yeah. And I, I try to remind them, uh, I'll say friend, in a friendly way, I remind them that growing fritillaria and growing dahlia and growing tulip yeah. and growing hyacinth, it, each one of those needs knowledge yeah. and time yeah. that's different. And you're giving, every time you introduce a new plant, you're actually introducing new work that you have to learn the plant yeah. as well. Exactly, for sure. <laughs> and what is also is the sandy grounds and the sea climate here is also uh, the best location for dahlias. Only in this area where we live is the best location to grow uh, a healthy product. 
it's not in the whole of, uh, part of the Holland it's possible. No. The winters are not too hard and we also have like the canal system. So if it's too dry, we can raise the canals or if it's too wet, we can uh, uh, down the, uh, let the water go down. So it's easy for us to, uh, easier maybe, <laughs> to grow mm. healthy plants. Let's talk about the history of the farm. You already mentioned it a little bit. Give me the the year. What's what's the year that you start? Give or take doesn't have to be exactly accurate. But what did what did you when did you start and what crops did you start with? Uh, so we started uh, thirty years ago when uh, Hubert was uh, coming from his uh, from um, school, and he he started with uh, different uh, summer flowers, and he also started with some dahlias from his grandfather. He did already grow. Because his father uh, was uh, mostly in the greenhouse, and uh, Hubert didn't want to be inside the greenhouse all day, so he decided to be a farmer outside on the fields. Mm-hmm. So uh, he started with dahlias, but also with uh, uh, sunflowers, with uh, uh, yeah, cartamus and heleniums, gladiolus, gladiolus. Mm-hmm. So many different varieties, and exactly what we you mentioned before. Uh, it's not so easy to grow so many varieties and we have the flower auction in Holland. We pro- in Holland, uh, a lot of flowers are produced and you have to be very good to get a good price because if you do everything you know, just a little, uh, you are not able to bring the best quality and then the price is very low at the flower auction because they don't buy your product. So uh, we in, now it's, it, uh, so we stopped with a lot of, other uh, flowers and yeah, in Holland you must be good in something special and then you can earn some money but it's it's still hard to get to earn your money because yeah you have to hard it's a hard work and the weather and there's so many things which is changing every year and also the the rules and that kind of thing so it, it's hard and you have to do it if you uh, grow only one product uh, then you Maybe then you are a specialist and you can all the time, you know, exactly, you can, uh, yeah, you can read the plants, <laughs> feel what they need. And this is the only way to, uh, to bring a good product on the market. And at the time, 30 years ago, dahlias were not as popular as <laughs> no. they are today. Yes. It, it, right. That is, it, that's something that take a second and maybe explain that to some of our, some of the people here in the United States that I don't think people are familiar with. Uh, there's actually this clip that I found of uh, Christopher Lloyd of Great Dixter in the UK talking about dahlias. And this was probably in like the late 80s. And he's explaining how they're not popular at that time. He loved them, but they weren't as popular in gardens. So talk a little bit about that. I don't. I think now through social media, people see dahlias and they're so popular and they're so beautiful for photography and they're incredible plants. But there was a time where they weren't that popular. Yeah, I think a lot of people here in the Netherlands also, uh, when they visit our fields, they're really surprised because they know often know the dahlia because their grandmother had it in their garden or had it in a pot on the, in, the, in the house. And they had to really they like the old-fashioned uh, um, uh, thing about it but now they see all the different varieties and uh, all the colors and all the shapes and then they're really surprised so this is also what the breeding has done in the all, all the past few years like making the product better huh? better on the face uh, different varieties make it more attractive for more people 
So I think we did a big step on the dahlias here. Do you think gardeners and the interest, like from through social media questions you get, their popularity in cut flower has gotten people who are just home gardeners excited about dahlias too? Yeah, because of the easiness, I think, uh, because it's so easy to grow. And uh, when you plant like one dahlia tuber and you get one big plant and you can cut uh, uh, tens or maybe hundred (laughs) flowers from one plant. And it's so thankful, not only for growers, but also for gardeners or uh, consumers at home. And I think uh, when you compare that, for example, to a bulb or to something else, that is it's a a totally different uh, experience. Why do you think? Because this is something I, I completely agree with you, that dahlias almost seem like they got a reputation, at least here in the States, as difficult. Why do you think that is? Because I, I still get that question from a lot of people sort of giving me this feeling that they thought they were a difficult plant to grow when I find them to be relatively easy. Yeah. And like you mentioned, they, if you're doing and giving them the things they need, They'll produce flowers all the way up to a frost event. Yeah, for months. And there aren't many, <laughs> for months. It, well, you know, here here in Tennessee, in my climate, I start to, um, on most medium-sized varieties, I'll start to see flowers in mid-June, and that will continue yeah. all the way from mid-June all the way till a frost event. But why do you think there was maybe this uh, thought that they were difficult to grow? Well, I think when we compare it in the EU, I think our climate is more like a little bit of the same. You have more the south and then that's about it. And when we're looking on the US, there's a lot of conversations going on about which region you're in and dig them out or storage them. And and, and with us, it's maybe it's a smaller region also. So it's not so, it doesn't differ that much, I think. And in the US, I think every region can have a diff- different way to handle them and to grow them and to... I don't know. Maybe you you can explain better. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think one of the things that hurt them here in the States was they were known as a flower that did very well in the Pacific Northwest, okay. Oregon and Washington. And the societies like the Dahlia plant societies and some of the growers were out there early on and there was a bit of a reputation developed that that's that's just where they were known from. And I also feel like there was a bit of a confusion that what dahlias really wanted was mild temperatures exclusively, that they wouldn't do well in any higher temperatures. But really what was hurting them in some of these other regions of the United States was just bad soil. It was just really heavy clay content. It stayed very wet. And the tubers were failing not because of air temperature, they were failing because of soil. Okay. And the tuber was rotting a lot. So I think as people have gotten maybe a little bit more knowledgeable uh, about gardening in general and soil preparation, I think it's really helped. Um, it, it's one of those that, as you mentioned, you know, having the canal system to be able to raise or lower moisture at times to help the, the tuber, it, it's something here that people just didn't think about um, as much. But I think people have gotten far better at understanding exactly what dahlias need. Speaking of what dahlias need, and this is, we were just talking about this before we recorded, 
that I don't know if there's the, the, the size of Dahlia, the physical size of the flower, makes them so incredibly photogenic. And there's just not many other flowers that do that same thing. How important do you think that is? Your social media account, very popular on Instagram, that it's really helped the plant, that it's so pretty, right? It's sort of a a theme. It sounds basic. It sounds simple. But because the flower is so huge and so incredible, it's undeniable. Do you think that's really helped too, like boost the popularity that it's so popular on social media? Yeah, for sure. It's Instagrammable. <laughs> exactly. So that really helps. And I think coming from the US, uh, it was a very, it became popular as a bridal flower, especially the cafe au lait. So that helps also. And uh, like you have Florette, of course, in the US, who makes, I think, the Dahlia also very popular with beautiful pho- photography. Uh, yeah, I think all those things uh, adds, adds to the point to the... Yeah, and when we see a lot of people, when they enter our fields in summer... People, we have so many, because there are so many different varieties and people know the most decorative uh, here in this area. If you don't know Dahlias very well, when they visit us, they see so many different shapes and sizes. It's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, people don't believe. Are they all Dahlias when they're walking yeah. in the fields? Yes, they're all Dahlias. And people have no idea about the so many varieties you can grow. And for every people, when we yeah. we always uh, cut a, a bunch of flowers for the people visiting us, and then we see uh, all people pick a totally different uh, bunch of flowers to take home. So this is everybody uh, chooses his own uh, uh, colors, colors yeah. and shapes, and we see so many different bunches going home. So this is uh, how special the dahlias are. You can't compare. Uh, so many varieties. There's a dahlia for everyone. Everyone will will find this this perfect dahlia. (laughs) That is a great point because it's one of the things, and I get this question sometimes uh, that when I chose to grow pretty much exclusively dahlia, that people said, oh, well, won't you not have enough variety to create interesting, maybe mixed flower bouquets? And I tried to explain to them that the like what you were just saying, the incredible difference in the flowers from everything from Verone's obsidian to Shiloh Noel yeah. and all of these different you no one would ever know they were all dahlia. Is it a dahlia? You, you could, Is this a dahlia as well? Yes, it's a dahlia as well. <gasps> yes. How do you handle your social media side of your business? Because I think that's something that anyone that does this as a business is always curious about. And you did, you just mentioned how you open up your fields and have uh, opportunities for, for, for guests to come out and do photography. Has that been a really big help for you in growing your social media is it's similar to something I do here. It's just making yourself available and the fields available to create photography uh, for sure it, it, it helps really because uh, this uh, helps us to uh, to bring the flowers into the world and it helps to grow on our instagram account because uh, when the visitors show they're here at our fields and uh, yeah lots of new people see it again 
and now we are able to share the beauty of the flowers and yeah it, it really helps our instagram account and our uh, to, without social media we wouldn't have met as well the, the world is, yeah. is yeah. now we can reach so many other uh, flower lovers uh, it brings us so much. I didn't know when we started two years ago with our Instagram account. I didn't know how many nice flower-loving people we would meet <laughs> with, with yeah. the last few uh, yeah. years. And it's uh, and for us, it's also important that, like, it's a personal thing. You know, we we can uh, show ourselves, we can show our farm, our children, our flowers. So it's really a personal touch that we add. And people, sometimes it's on their bucket list to visit us. And they say, I want to have a picture with Marlies and Linda. And we're like, huh, do you want a picture of us? <laughs> and do, do you think, is that something that uh, I'm curious to ask you both? Because in my experience with a lot of growers, both in the EU and over here in the States, they've struggled with social media and marketing of their businesses oftentimes. Yeah. And that so many of them are just tirelessly hard workers when it comes to farming and growing. It sounds like they, they, <laughs> it, Yes, exactly. And that's something that I think uh, you're a great example because it's uh, in my gardening school and some other places I've mentioned this, that as a grower in 2020 now, which is going to take me a second to get used to saying, but- in 2020, that side of the business, getting out there and being able to engage directly with gardeners and your end customer is so important to grow your business. Where 30 years ago, when you, when you started, when your family started, that option wasn't there. No. You had someone between your farm yeah. and your end buyer. Yeah. It, it, can can you talk to that for a second and just the power that that gives you as a business owner to expand what you're doing and have more control yeah. over what you're doing? Well, that's ex exactly the reason why we also started Fem Flower Farm because yeah we have the uh, the flower farms already for years and it was all business to business and what you say it's going in a big crate and on a tractor and on a truck and it went uh, somewhere else to an export company and we had never any idea where it went and we didn't hear anything back unless we got a complaint. So, uh, and now it's so different because we are in direct contact. We are, we can answer a direct message. We can answer an email. We can have the phone. We have people on the field. It's so close by and we get feedback and we learn from it. And also our, our husbands are getting very, very excited about it because they, they also are very eager to get feedback from consumers. <laughs> And that is one of the things I saw when I ran a large-scale nursery in Oregon, that when I, I took over our operations, it was a little surprising to me how disconnected we were from our customer at the beginning. Yeah. And in, the, the, in Holland, especially because, because of the big auction yeah, for the flowers, it's a, it's a perfect system, but you bring it to the auction, you get your money, and that's it. So yeah, and you see on the list who bought it, maybe, <laughs> and what you what kind of price you got, but there was no contact at all. Has that helped you as well? Do you feel in even things like color trends and flower trends, as far as what you think is popular versus having someone else tell you what they think is popular? 
Yeah, we have, at home we have always a discussion. My, my husband is the tulip grower. And he said, yeah, I have, uh, want to buy a new tulip and it's red and yellow. He said, yeah, we already have three ones that are red and yellow. <gasps> I don't see the difference. <laughs> but he was so into his tulip uh, business that he couldn't see uh, how a consumer is looking at it. He was just so uh, obsessed with it himself. And I say, come on, if you look at the top uh, po most popular post of last year, you can see it's more pink and it's fringe and it's double and it's it's totally different than what we are doing. So we're trying to um, yeah to make progress on that side as well. That is something that I don't think uh, people are really also aware of. That there is a real difference between the production of a plant yeah. versus the beauty of a plant sometimes that it's a different uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it well if the production and, and, isn't good it will never get to the market so how do you balance that sometimes that you know like as what you were just describing like something with tulips maybe the flower is beautiful but it's a poor bulb producer uh, maybe the dahlia, same issue. The the flower is beautiful, but it's a bad tuber producer. How do you balance that at the size that you're at? Um, yeah, well, um, for my husband, it's easy because if the if if the doesn't the, the bulb doesn't grow well or doesn't multiply well or the uh, the crop isn't good, it just we we stop with it because in the end you will always lose money on it. It's not possible to earn money with it. Uh, unless it's already very, very popular. Like, for example, Café Olé, it's so popular, while uh, um, the tuber itself is not so easy to grow, you know. But, but because it's so popular, you can bring it on the market because it, you know it's, you have a buyer for it. <laughs> well, let's talk Café Olé for a second, <laughs> ladies, because um, what you just said is my exact feeling on the plant. And let's take a moment here. Maybe we can help educate. Uh, the floral design community across the world and maybe as a grower of it, some of the frustrations a little bit with it. So I'm going to lay this out and explain it. And then you, you jump in with your thoughts on this. So Cafe Olay is a, as a plant, a bit of a wheat grower. Uh, stems can be relatively thin compared to many other cultivars in the world. Then the other thing that is, uh, I'm curious if you see the same thing over there that I do here, that the very lovely soft cream color that Cafe Olay is loved for is not the most and consistent flower the plant sometimes produces. It The same plant can produce many different shades yeah. of flower and it can be a little bit frustrating because if you have like a large order for Cafe Olay and they want that cream variety, it's pink. It's, <laughs> it's pink. Exactly. So do you see that same thing over there in, in the Netherlands and how do you navigate that? Like you mentioned, it is a plant that is super, super duper popular, but at the same time, it does give you some challenges as far as a grower goes. Yeah, this was more or less what I, what I said. Like, for example, in the tulip business, there are like thousands of different varieties. I, it's actually the same as in the Dahlia business. So if you say this red one doesn't produce a good flower or doesn't multiply well, we go over to another red one and it doesn't differ that much. So uh, we convince the market to grow the other one <laughs> because it's better for everyone in the end. And with the Dahlias, it's a bit different because you have so many shapes and sizes 
But I think for every dahlia, you can find one that's similar, but maybe grows better, is more healthy, gives better crop, whatever. Uh, and so it's better to switch to another variety when it's a lookalike. Is there anything that looks like Cafe Olay that you like at the moment besides Cafe Olay that gives you a similar shape and form and color? Yeah, we are really in love with uh, Chilo Noel. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's also a bit pinkish. It's not so creamy, but uh, it's really strong uh, and a good grower. So it, it is a great plant. And I can say that same thing when I've, I've grown it here. I think I did 50 of them last year that it does extremely well and has that same capacity to almost blend seamlessly with so many other colors. One of my favorite photos actually from last year for me was uh, Sheila Noel with Verone's Obsidian, yeah. which was a combo that you wouldn't necessarily think would blend beautifully together, but it did. What about, because everyone always sees some of the varieties that are massive, large dinner plate types. How do you, that's another question I actually have. On the the auction exchange, how does that work as far as pricing goes? That you have these huge dinner plates at times, you know, uh, U.S. measurement ten inches across or so, versus the smaller decorative ball forms. How does that work? Are they bunched the same? Even are they sold the same? How does that process work as far as the huge size difference in dahlia varieties? Yes, but to the flower auction, uh, we only bring cafe or day and no other uh, big different big uh, dinner plates. So we uh, almost uh, sell uh, always sell the more decorative uh, varieties because these have a long face life. And when I ask Hubert, he always says, "I bring the, the cafe or day, but in, in it is in real, it's not a good uh, cut flower." It's for events. It's just for <laughs> events, yeah. or, uh, the special moments. Not for like six or seven days vase uh, life. No. <laughs> Through your social media, have you had a chance to maybe, uh, I'm going to use the phrase, help some designers learn how to better handle and process dahlias as cut flowers? Mm, no, not yet, but we, we do help, of course, if they send us a medal or, you know, we try to help them. But it's not like an active uh, thing. I guess I asked the question because I've been a little surprised in my experience how some floral designers are maybe not as experienced or familiar with how to handle and process dahlias as cut flowers. Okay. And, it, and at the beginning, what I see is they're having a failure on the flower far earlier than they should be, that sometimes like uh, just after three days. They're seeing problems with it versus on my side of it. When I handle them, sometimes if I'm really good, I can stretch one to seven or 10 days, even on something like Cafe Olay. How do you think that's something that we probably need to start working on is, is educating? Because at least here in the States, there is a reputation that dahlias don't always make uh, long-term cut flowers. And like you mentioned, that they're just better for events. Yeah, I think in the U.S. market is so much different than in in uh, Europe because here you have in Holland you have the oh, sorry <laughs> no worries uh, sorry in Holland you have the like the real uh, professional uh, dahlia growers who bring their flowers to the auction or to the wholesale so they are specialized they know what to do they often grow it in a greenhouse so they can control the climates and the, and the, and the bees and stuff like that and you have the consumers and, and nothing really in between yeah you have some picking gardens 
But in U.S., you have the whole in-between small-scale flower farmer, farmer florist, and it's so different. And I have so many different questions. I think we can really, really help them a lot on all those things that they suffer during the seasons. Yeah, and, and I think it is it's such a great point that there is a real difference. And we have a lot of uh, floral designers who are new and are excited and are, are just starting into their businesses that the small-scale flower growers can spend a good amount of time helping educate them on how to handle and process different types of cut flowers. Now, walk me through. You're going to start offering Dahlia Tuber sales here in the United States. Walk me through that process. Are, are you shipping directly from Holland over to here? Do you have someone here that's helping with distribution? How have you set that up? Yes, we have uh, someone we know very well, and uh, he does already ship uh, uh, boobs and tubers to the U.S., and he's a friend of us, so he helps us to bring it to his warehouse. And then we go ourselves to uh, the U.S. next year, mm -hmm. So we fly to the US this year, <laughs> oh, this year, and then we will uh, pack our, uh, we make everything ready, and then we can send it to the US customers as well. And it's just for us; it's a trial. We want to work, uh, find out uh, is it uh, interesting for us? Does it work? Uh, yeah, it's for us. It's a big adventure for us to start with. We had so many requests from people who wanted to buy dahlias from us, so we said, oh, we must do something with it. But it's quite uh, uh, a challenge. Uh, <laughs> Exciting new. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and, well, and, and um, as the business side of it goes, uh, and I know it, you know, as you just mentioned, it can be something that's, a little, that's new and exciting, but there's also challenges just like there is in everything that you add to a business. But do you feel there are maybe more growers in the Netherlands who are considering trying to sell directly to customers as far and changing maybe what it was in the past where there were brokers? No, I don't think so. The Dahlia world is a very small world. There are just a few uh, growers and not so many. And I don't know anybody who is, <laughs> who is doing this like us. I don't think so. At this moment now, mm. I don't think so. Well, not, I think you may not so many, and they don't have two <laughs> stupid women <laughs> <laughs> well, who and, go and, all over the world. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it's something though you should be really proud of the, of that because I can tell you it's something that uh, in the some of the larger scale nurseries in the United States that do other plants, uh, I have a lot of conversations with folks where they're thinking about that uh, selling directly more to and consumers than they ever have in the past. So I think you're onto something, quite honestly. And it's it, it's a change, and I know it's very, very different than historically what's existed in the, the nursery and horticulture world with plants throughout the world. But it is more doable today through social media, like yeah. we already talked about, that you can connect with your customers. Like you said, you have customers asking you. I get the same question, people wanting me to sell Dahlia tubers all the time. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to. Uh, <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it's, uh, I think it may be the future of what we're doing. And, and you mentioned this a couple of times now. Uh, the nursery industry in Holland has been primarily male dominated. <laughs> I'm being kind here. Um, how has that been for you? Cause you're both so active and clearly so involved in the business. Um, how's that experience been? 
<laughs> and this is really great. And this is also uh, why people uh, in uh, in the nursery business or in, in the farming business in Holland uh, looking at us because two uh, people, uh, two women arise <laughs> and they also have a story to tell. But, you know, there are so many farms in Holland, but nobody is uh, telling actively the story and showing the fields because a lot of farms will also have beautiful fields and also have beautiful flowers. But uh, it's just not their focus to to build a, uh, an audience on the consumer side because they are just business to business and they're specialized and on their working on their fields. And uh, that's what makes it, makes it uh, special for us to uh, to do it on our way and, and to do it really with a female touch. And we do what we like and other people like it as well. So that's the best story we can uh, we can have. I think that is one of the most incredible things when I first started following you a couple of years ago that I, I did notice because I had so much more of a background than I think a lot of people do with the nursery and horticultural trade across the world. And it's always made me a little sad <laughs> that growers over there weren't sharing more mm -hmm. because there, there's such incredible knowledge and experience, but people weren't seeing it. Um, when you first started doing it, I'm going to ask you a very honest question. When you first started doing it, were there other growers in your area? Were maybe even your husbands a little bit like, why are you wasting time doing <laughs> oh, it? Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Even our, our own men, they said, oh, go ahead, but I have no idea. What, what are you going to do? But it's okay, but no idea how this... Uh, how it's going to be a business, you know? No. You're, you're, you're just posting pictures. How are we going to make money? How can we earn money with it? <laughs> so they had no idea. And it's also not about the how, uh, how, it's, how we can uh, reach the world. Yeah. Because uh, social media is such something different from growing flowers, uh, like th they do working on the fields all day. It's a total different world. Yeah. And also, you know, it's not only the people who are buying the flowers, but it's also people who just love flowers, you know. They're also following us, but also people from, uh, we had this week uh, bookings coming from India and from Singapore and from New Zealand. They, uh, when they book a visit to our flower field. So that's, you know. How, how amazing is that? Yeah. I mean, have, no have your, <laughs> that, that's it. And so have your husbands changed their yeah. view of it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They're now so enthusiastic. And I really see also uh, how you can influence your market and building a brand and, and you know, uh, deciding upon your own price and not just bring to the auction and see what you get. You know, it's, it's totally different. For what have, have you seen any other growers in other categories, people that aren't maybe doing dahlias or tulips, see what you're doing and think about it? Because I, okay, I'm going to full honesty here for people. This is something that's been really interesting to me this week. So I've been researching uh, wholesale orchids from different parts of the world. And there are still in 2020 growers who do orchids, who some of them don't even have websites, no. <laughs> more or less. So, and, I, and I know in the Netherlands, it's similar sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. Have people that you know, uh, friends, other nurseries and growers, have they looked at what you're doing and been like, maybe we should start doing that for the, yeah, well, for the specialty crop honest, that we grow? We honestly, we really hope they will do it because together, you know, we can 
convince the market the the, the prettiness of the flowers and to, to to plant some bulbs in your garden and to be you know we have a, a big story to tell to the world and the world is very big and if, if all the farmers would do what we do we would have a great marketing campaign <laughs> do, uh, uh, do you feel as if that is something because for the for people listening that don't know and i i feel like sometimes this is what you're sharing is something not enough growers have shared with audience and consumers that the world of gardening has actually shrunk yeah. over the last 25 or 30 years. And one of my big beliefs of why is because so many people that were passionate about it, and many of them growers, were not telling their stories. We weren't doing a good job of sharing to new consumers and new audiences and the plant world has always done a good job just talking to each other yeah we haven't always done a good job of reaching oh, new that's characteristics people. of a plant <laughs> do you see it that same way that that was a mistake in this last you know 30 year period yeah, by so many sure. folks that we weren't doing a good job sharing yeah for sure and, and i think the system the, the dutch system which is what i said it's very good but it makes the grower very lazy because, you know, it's, it will be bought somewhere, it will go somewhere, and I don't have to do any marketing at all. Um, but now, yeah, we, are, we have lost a lot of uh, our customers because nobody's planting bulbs in the garden anymore. So we have to lift it up, back up again. And what we see now is that we are uh, get people that said, oh, I'm going to plant my first dahlia tuber this year. It's the first time you convinced me to plant a dahlia. I'm so enthusiastic. And even girls from like 25, 26 year olds, all starting to plant uh, tubers in their garden. So that's the best that we can uh, succeed. And that is something that I've seen that I'm so optimistic about moving forward is the, uh, again, be very honest as I always am with all things. I was a little bit scared when I got very active on social media that maybe the people that were going to pay attention was going to be maybe a slightly older crowd <laughs> when the reality was it hasn't been. It, it's yeah. a very uh, young, vibrant community of people like you just mentioned that are that are sometimes they, they didn't know dahlias existed. Yeah, they, they didn't even know it was like, oh, what is it? It's a, a dahlia. I can grow that. So is that a lot of what you see, too, that the people were reaching? These are truly new people to both Dahlia and many times just to gardening as well. Yeah, I think it's also uh, more on the trend to you know go, go more back to your house and your garden and your small little area around yourself and not only being on uh, the internet, but you know, just uh, being with your fingers in the ground and, and, and play around. And I, I think uh, it started already 10 years ago, but it's, I think it's getting the bigger audience now. People want to go back to nature. <laughs> so the best way to make your flower dreams come true, if you want to book a photo session at Fan Flower Farm, <laughs> yeah. is to, on your website and on your Instagram social media, is that the best way for people to contact and yes. book that? And how far in advance do they need to be able to book it? Uh, well, the, the time slots are open now for from 18 till like 30 of April. And, uh, well, booking is coming in now, but it's not fully booked yet. So you'll have some time, but uh, within a uh, now in uh, like one or two months, it might be <laughs> it might be fully booked. <laughs>
Which has just got to be, like you mentioned earlier, it's like one of those things that everyone should do. I know a lot of times throughout the years, uh, Kuchenhoff's display of tulips has been something people have known for going over to, to the Netherlands and visiting. But the fields, <laughs> like what you have, are every bit, and to my eye, even prettier than what happens uh, there. So how does that process work? So people just can can just book it online? Did the did you have up on your website? Is it very easy for people just to go on and, and pick a date or do they have to communicate directly with you? No, we have all the dates uh, open on the website and you can say, I want to come on uh, on the Wednesday at 11 o'clock or I want to come at four o'clock and you can book it online. And we have a smaller rate for the kids. And uh, towards uh, the date, we will inform you about the exact address of the field because we have several fields. So we have to decide which one is the prettiest on the date that you are coming. And uh, then we inform you and uh, get a uh, description. And it's very easy. And we are uh, like uh, 10 minutes away from uh, Keukenhof. So you can uh, make a good combination if you like. Yeah, that's it. So thank you both so much. I think we covered a lot of ground here. The very last thing for you. So with your Tuber sales, those are up live now. People can book Tubers for shipping for the spring. Yes. Yep. Cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life it's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way state of mind But that's not not for me to Putting down this brand new hammer, but they're just whispers way up here. They got no rhyme for the reason why it's wrong, but there's still this burning in my ears. So
For you to 